Well, hello everyone and welcome to season two of the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. It has been a month since we've last spoken on the podcast show and had to take a little break over the Christmas holidays to spend with family and friends and rejuvenate, uh, recharge, and plan for an incredible season two on the show. So clearly season one had had an impact and an influence, and that's exactly what I had hoped. I've gotten numerous, numerous comments about the principles of transformation that people were able to discern from these episodes. And what I uh, hope to continue expanding is the application of those principles. We move from, from awareness and understanding into action with these principles in our daily life. So uh, in season two, I'm going to be more intentional about pulling out these principles so that you can easily remember them and, and then put them into practice. I'm excited that the video formats of the podcasts are now available over on the website, aestheticsofleadership.com. Um, there you can search any of the episodes for any particular interest of yours. So if you wanted to know about nutrition and, and wanted to listen to all the episodes related to nutrition, you simply type that in and boom, there you go. All the episodes and all the places within the episodes where nutrition is brought up. It's fantastic technology. So I'm excited to have that for all of season one and moving forward in season two. So you again can find all of the video episodes at www.aestheticsofleadership.com. The audio version of every podcast is of course on every podcast outlet out there. So season two is shaping up to be really impactful. I've got 20 of, of the first episodes already scheduled. Uh, some of the most amazing people that I've come across um, in, in my network and beyond. So I'm excited to share those interviews with you. If there is a topic or a person that you would like to hear on the show, please reach out and let me know that as well as leave your comments, leave us a review. That is the only way our ratings change and our influence can expand is with your help in giving the show um, a five-star rating, if you will. <laughs> so look, thank you for being a part of the Aesthetics of Leadership journey in 2020. And I'm certainly look forward to walking beside you in these episodes into 2021. So for episode one of season one, I have a gentleman by the name of Bondi Johnson, who's going to be on the show. He is founder and chief, chief executive of Roasted Coffee Company and one of the original brew boys. So an incredible story of transformation from a business perspective. Uh, he's also a former collegiate athlete. And he also suffered um, a, a health setback early on in his childhood. So uh, again, several more transformations to talk about. And now as a young entrepreneur, uh, the real estate sector is going to be his next conquest. So Bondi really personifies so many of the, the, the principles of transformation that we appreciate here on the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. So without further ado, welcome to season two of the podcast. And I'd love to introduce you to my new friend, Bondi Johnson. Here we go. Bondi Johnson, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Edwin. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. So clearly we have something in common and that's what instigated really the invite on the show, Bondi. You, you are a brew boy. You're, you're a coffee connoisseur and I've got a lot of questions about that. But before we get into any of that, would you mind briefly introducing yourself to the listening audience and kind of give us the progression of how you came to be doing what you're doing today? Absolutely. So I have a bit of a, a tangled story just because of the many hats that I wear, but uh, it all started in, uh, in college. I was getting my degree, my undergraduate degree in nutrition science. I have a, an intense passion for nutrition and I kind of, I had a bout of anorexia um, in high school and it kind of taught me uh, through a brutal lesson how important food is and, and it can be your best friend, it can be your worst enemy. So I decided that uh, it was my worst enemy and I want to make it my best friend. So I decided to to um, start that journey and uh, get my degree in nutrition science and really understand food from, from a much deeper level. So that, that put me on that path. 
But uh, somewhere along the way, I started a coffee roasting company my sophomore year of college. And, and that's a whole nother story. But um, I have since then grown that and, and uh, even past graduation and, and shifted paths. Once I graduated with my degree in nutrition science, I kind of felt that entrepreneurial spirit taking over. So I worked in a cancer research facility right out of college and, and just learned that that's not what I want to do with my life. So I decided to go back to school, uh, to business school, get my MBA with a focus in real estate, and and at the same time grow the the coffee roasting company, and and that kind of puts me where I am today. Wow. Okay. Clearly, there is <laughs> a lot to talk about there, and, and what touched me most, I guess, for an initial conversation is overcoming anorexia. So, mm-hmm. so there. Hmm, wow. So. So from a from an illness perspective, when we're talking about the principles of transformation, I think they are ubiquitous across healthcare, across fitness, and across business. I think the laws of growth and the laws of transformation are applicable across them all. So that being said, you started at an early age learning some important lessons mm-hmm. of becoming a victim or a victor to a circumstance. So let me let me start the conversation there about how you flipped a narrative and became one versus the other. Yeah, I I really uh I I fell into it and it's how most people do. I don't think anybody would intentionally take on about anorexia, but um it was it was something that stemmed from my my already growing passion and appreciation for fitness and health. And I really wanted to get on, I wanted to be as fit and as healthy as possible. And I inadvertently did the opposite through my lack of understanding and lack of education. So I found myself kind of caught in this predicament where at first I didn't accept it. And I had people telling me, you know, Bondi, you, you're looking a little skinny, a little frail. And I was like, what are you talking about? No, like I'm exercising daily. Uh, I was, I was in great shape, but I was losing significant amount of weight. And I just had I had no idea. So people started telling me, uh, you know, you might, is, are you good? Is everything all right? Like you're looking, you know, you're looking off faces sunken in and, and I just, you know, I shoot those people away. I was like, no. And, and it wasn't until one of my very best friends at the time said, Hey man, you know, I I don't want to be stepping over any bounds here, but we actually went to lunch. He was like, he's like, you just, you don't look healthy to me. And I was like, really? <laughs> At this point, I was like, okay, I think there's something here. So, so it took a long time for me to accept that there was this issue. And, and once I did, um, it was a struggle to kind of navigate, all right, how do I fix this? And, and I went to a couple doctors and, and I saw a couple nutritionists and, and, you know, they helped me, but at the same time, I think it, it took me accepting that I wanted to make that change and accepting that I wanted to, to really, um, do something that was for the better. It's, it's hard to accept that, that you've been at fault because I was doing this to myself. I was limiting my calorie intake. I was irresponsible with what I was limiting and, and the ratios of my macronutrients were out of whack. And, and so it really took me to go, you messed up. Like that was your fault. And so once I did that, I said, okay, you know what? I messed this up. I can fix this. And so I took the time to listen to the nutritionists and meet with them and, and put together a structured plan on how to, how to come out of this. And, and I immediately just felt better. It was a weight lifted off my shoulders. Um, I didn't have to, I didn't have to hound myself about what I was eating and I didn't have to kind of just lock myself down mentally, um, on, on being so strict with this diet, but rather liberate myself to, to become healthy again. <laughs> and I think, I think that was the acceptance and the liberation was just two key things for me that really were a, a trans, uh, a period of transformation for me when it came to battling that. So, so the tipping point between victimhood and, and, and being a victor is that awareness mm-hmm. piece that I, I think you so eloquently said, most people don't make that shift though. They never become self-aware that they are the author of this outcome and that they have some response ability still left to do something different and to transform, kind of moving from the caterpillar to the, the butterfly. You're not there yet, right. keep going. But, but people stay in that, that first stage of suffering. Was there, I know your friend had a role to play in helping you raise mm-hmm. your elevation, but was it, was it simply that conversation 
or was what was there something else to that that made made you go aha aha you know i think there was this internal conversation well, i do have a pretty specific aha moment but um that continuous internal conversation you know like i said i was getting this from friends and and even family i was living with my dad at the time uh, my mom was in a different state so and i keep in mind i'm 14 so it's you know i'm i'm 14 15 I think it was, I think it was closer to 15, but it's, it's, you know, a period in time where, where you still kind of look to, to your, your role models and, and the, the adult figures in your life. And so when my dad started saying something to me, I was like, God, like, all right, there might be something to this. And I actually went to the doctor and stepped on a scale. Keep in mind, I'm, I'm 5'11 and I've been an athlete my entire life. I was a gymnast. uh, I was a wrestler. So I've been, let's just say it, it built um, especially for, for my age. And so I was, I was probably weighing around 150 normally. And I went to the doctor and stepped on the scale and it was 118. Wow. And I think for me at that time, I was like, you have to be kidding. Like this, this is indisputable. <laughs> the scale says 118 and I should not one, weigh 118. So I think with all the conversations I had been having internally and with my friends saying, you don't look too good. Um, you know, that was kind of it for me to go. That's it right there. There's my evidence. And I'm, I'm a very you know, evidence-based person. And I think I'm seeing it physically. I was like, wow. All right. <laughs> There's something to this. Okay. Yep. That, that makes so much sense to me, Bondi. Um, because everything up to that point was subjective. You, you had people talking and you had the voices in your head, but no data to, to support exactly. it. You had your construct in your head yep. and your beliefs in a box and other people had theirs and they were, they were just kind of existing there. And then the number shows up on the scale and that has meaning to you. That's, that's incredible. Um, you know, I find that to be true as well in, in, in coaching people. And you're an athlete, you know, this, mm-hmm. that when I show people objective assessments of their behavior analysis, for instance, a disc behavioral analysis, for instance, and they're reading the opening paragraph after spending 15 minutes answering 50 questions, they read this paragraph and they go, oh my God, that's me. How, how, how did answering 50 questions turn into a paragraph that it's explaining exactly what I'm thinking and doing? Like, well, you know what? We've spent a couple of hundred years understanding human behavior. I think we've, we've kind of got a good understanding of the categories that people fall into. And here are gonna be your strengths here are going to be your blind spots and here are your weaknesses and here are your growing opportunities. And I think I loved how you said that awareness led to a plan that, mm-hmm. that led to massive action that changed your situation, but it all starts with awareness. Right. So uh, help me understand from that early experience at age 14 and having had created the awareness for yourself what do you notice in the, in the world today? I know I've given you some of, some of my perspectives, but at, at age 14, you transformed. And did that empower you to transform again and again and again? And do you notice anything out in the world as far as why problems exist out there and, and, and what you can do to solve them? I know that's kind of a big question. I was like, wow, we got real... <laughs> Real deep on that one. Um, <laughs> absolutely. No. So I, I think, I think what it did was kind of awaken me to, and you know, I want to include this. I'll back up real quick before we get too far down the road. Prior to, to um, the, the bout of anorexia, my parents got divorced in 2010, I think it was. So that was just about the same time. I want to say it was a year later that I really felt uh, that, that I got into that um, unhealthy pattern of eating. And and whether it was me trying to control my world or trying to regain some sort of feelings of, of you know, if this is my life, um, I don't, you know, I don't know what exactly it was. But um, for me at that point in time, I remember distinctly, uh, my parents got split up and I kind of said to myself, you know what, their life's their life, they're going to do their thing. I have me and, and that's it. You know what I mean? Not to say that I don't have other people I can lean on, but I was like, you look at your parents as just kind of this, this rock to you, like your mom, your dad. And when that separates, your world is flipped upside down. And I think that was the real true turning point of me to go, you know what? I'm on my own from now on. I'm going to make my own choices. I'm going to be responsible for myself um, because I kind of 
had this thing that I was looking at for my entire life that now just fell apart. And I'm like, <laughs> well, then what, you know, who, who can I rely on? And I said, it's me. I can rely on me. I'm responsible for me. Uh, and, and I'm going to, to be in control of me. And I think that that also led me into that unhealthy pattern of eating saying, I'm going to be in control because I wasn't listening to other people. Um, but moving past that now, uh, like you said, kind of those two periods where I feel like I really had to sit there and self-reflect and say, you know, it's, it's me in this world. I'm responsible. Um, I think every sort of um, crossroads that I've, that I've encountered in my life, um, I've just looked at myself and said, what is the decision that I think is right? What's my gut feeling? And what can I look back to my past experiences and what best decision there is to make? And if I made the wrong decision, I said, you know, that was my fault. I never look to the outside world for blame. Rather, I just reflect on the decisions I made um, at those periods in time and say, that was a bad decision. Or I look back and go, that was a great decision. You know, thanks for making that. So I think, I think it really taught me to just uh, personal agency. Uh, like I'm responsible for my, for my path and, and um, the path I've put myself on is just a, a, a result of a series of decisions. So for me, that's been um, a continuing pattern throughout. And I think will be for the rest of my life, but um, remind me the last part of that question, because I, I. Yeah. So, so from that unique perspective, I've got so many questions on what you just said. That was absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Um, the, the other question was now that you're, you, you've gone through that process of, of awareness, plan, and action. Mm -hmm. when, when you look at the problems in the world, does that cue uh, I, I can see that so clearly what the issue is. Um, mm -hmm. And you're a, you're a CEO of a company. You've got to have that superpower to kind of look at, we have an awareness problem and, and, or we have a plan problem or we're not taking the right actions based on the yeah. information we have. Yeah. And, and I honestly think that that nine times out of 10, the, the, what you can look to or what you can point at the culprit in that situation, whatever it is, is, is somebody along the line uh, or in the chain of command, it has a difficulty accepting responsibility because it is, it's a hit to your ego. And I think that again, nine times out of 10, that's where issues stem from. And, and I think that it's very easy to figure out where that comes from. And I also think that, um, on the, on the flip side of the coin that, that you, you look to people who are successful and so happy and seem to be at peace. And it's because they're willing to say that was my fault. <laughs> There's nobody blame, but me. And guess what? It is a weight off the shoulders. And I remember just every, every time I encountered a difficulty or something, it's just really easy to sit there and reflect with yourself and say, you know, that, that was you, or maybe somebody caused an issue, but it's, it's how you reacted to it. So I think that, um, not to just, you know, kind of blanket statement on what I think all the issues are caused by, but I think it does boil down to that. Yeah. Amazing. I also appreciated what you, what you said, um, that made me think about our superpower, you know, Bondi, mm -hmm. I, I know I haven't shared with, with you very much what I do on Thursdays, but I call them Thor's days. <laughs> and I usually send a picture of Thor, uh, with some motivational message to, to people in my circle of influence, because I that's the that. one day of the week that I think we can kind of breathe into our respective superpowers. And I think we all have one and, and you named it. It's response ability, not, not one word, but two, your responsibility is always there. It's a choice that you make. And I appreciated so much what, what you said that in these situations, we do have the ability to respond one way or another. And it's from our, our evaluated experiences to your point that we have the wisdom to make a better choice in that situation. Um, I, I was corrected one time by one of my interviewees. We were talking about our past and, yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of us spend too much time looking backwards or whichever way that is on the screen, looking backwards and, <laughs> and, and we fail to look forward and step forward from our giftedness, our strengths, our talents, et cetera, that we've honed over time. But instead we're stuck on the emotion that we've attached to those experiences. And I, I said something like, you know, experience is our greatest teacher. And he went, no, 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 Ed, it's evaluated experiences that are your greatest teacher just because you went through it doesn't mean it can teach you anything. It's only until you pause and go, mm -hmm. 
what was my role? What did I learn? What can I do better the next time I'm in a similar situation? Um, I think that's where wisdom and, and knowledge comes from. So thank you for saying that. I think that that's, Absolutely. I, I, I just see a pattern there and people of your caliber use past experiences, uh, evaluated experiences like that in an in a ever-changing adaptation to an ever-changing world. And, mm-hmm. and God, I feel like I'm preaching, but too much, too, too much of the time <laughs> where we like to stay in our, our comfort zone. And it sounds like you disrupt your comfort zone frequently. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. So, so from a disruption standpoint, if you had to name your superpower that allows you to disrupt comfort um, consistently and perseverantly over time, what would you say is the, the greatest asset mentally that you bring to, to the comfort zone disruption? I would say uh, my superpower would be honestly purpose, uh, either purpose or long-term thinking. Because I know that maybe something's uncomfortable in the moment or uh, that something is difficult in the moment. But long term, if you look down the road, chances are that that discomfort or that difficulty is going to set you up for success in the future. And if you're just thinking in the moment, you're not going to want to do that thing because it sucks. Uh, and that that across the board, I mean, whether physically working out or mentally staying up, you know, to 3, 4, 5 a.m. to get something done, whether it's business or a, a big project you have. It's just, it's, it's uncomfortable in the moment. And I think my long-term thinking and, and um, knowing what my purpose is behind this task is what uh, allows me to overcome that. I love, uh, wow. Okay. So there, there is probably one question I get more often as a coach than any other. And it's coming from um, young men from in their twenties and thirties who seem lost and, and maybe that's too powerful a word, but the question they ask is, how do I find purpose and passion? And, and what, what captured my attention in what you just said was, what's my purpose in this, in this moment? That, that purpose doesn't have to be this all-encompassing, or I guess this is my realization that I'm coming to, is that purpose and passion doesn't have to be this overarching theme that you feel compelled to get right because everything else depends on you getting that answer right. But mm-hmm. in this moment, what is my purpose? And it can be that granular. And I don't want to say that easy, but every moment has a purpose and an outcome and you get to create it. Is that, is that Absolutely. fair? I know I went kind of deep on just one sentence you said. Absolutely. No. And I think you finished it off perfectly at the end and you get to create it. And I think that right there is one of the most powerful things that you can you can learn or accept or know it's, it, it truly is. It's, it's life-changing. Incredible. So let's move to your athletic career. I know we have a connection in that FSU where, where you had your collegiate experience is also in the, the, the same conference as the university of Louisiana Monroe, which is my, my hometown college and where, where I went to school and, and taught for a few years. So I've been to FSU, my okay. son and I traveled there with the team many, many years ago, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. So kudos to you for being part of a very rich culture of competitive sport. So talk to me about your transformation as, a, as an athlete. You, you clearly stepped into a collegiate arena as an athlete and, and being involved in collegiate sports as a faculty advisor for a long time. That's, that was the toughest job on campus, being a student athlete. Tell me how, how you prepared and how you continued to adapt through that responsibility. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, I'll squash one myth right here too. So people who are listening and you say athlete, I, I joined the co-ed cheerleading team at Florida State. And so uh, I will sit here and argue to the grave that cheerleading is absolutely a sport and that it takes a true athlete to be a cheerleader. Um, that's coming from my experience playing uh, everything, everything under the sun, every sport, lacrosse, baseball, I swam, basketball, football. Um, it, it really, uh, even to jujitsu, Muay Thai, I've done pretty much everything. And, and by far the most difficult and humbling sport was cheerleading. And I think, um, 
you know, it's, it's definitely in some senses underappreciated though it's growing and people are starting to acknowledge it more. Um, it, it really is a difficult thing. So for all student athletes out there, major kudos, it's extremely difficult. It, it, it is, it's school to me. Uh, it, it's a full-time job, you know, a Monday to Friday uh, commitment that you have where you have to show up and you have responsibilities and you have tasks that travel from, from school. So it's not even like work where you might be able to just kind of close a laptop at the end of the day. Um, you have assignments that you'll have to take care of on weekends. You have to study in your spare time. Um, school in itself is difficult. So to add the component of athletics where you have competitions and you have to travel for games and you have practices, it's definitely, it takes a different kind of person. And, and, um, you know, my biggest means of managing that was, was simple, uh, not to make it over, over simple. I think, uh, people often look for the silver, the silver bullet and things, but, um, as you know, I'm sure being in, uh, familiar with the field of nutrition, <laughs> um, it, it's just time management. You know, I wake up every day and, and I actually have it sitting next to me right here. I write down, um, to-do lists and I have, a couple components of what I write down every morning. But, but if I don't, I plan out my days. The second I wake up, it's the first thing I do. And I think that it's allowed me to really uh, excel in a number of areas, especially when it came to owning the business and starting to really grow that. But um, just planning, planning ahead and, and taking time. I don't look at down, uh, downtime as downtime. I look at downtime as what can I be getting done that I know I'm going to have to be doing in the near future, uh, whether that's studying for, for uh, an exam or getting an assignment done um, or, you know, taking the time to work on myself as far as working out, reading. Um, I would say that that's how I managed to stay ahead. Incredible. So I, I, that is a common theme that I hear from a lot of um, focused driven people is that it, you know, it can be as simple as watching TV. They're not sitting in the recliner. They're on the floor stretching out, doing some kind of uh, yoga move during the commercial. <laughs> They're not just sitting, letting life pass by. They're engaging in some form of personal growth and development at pretty much every moment they're not sleeping. And I, I, I think that is a lesson to, to, to be recognized and learned. Absolutely. So uh, you're a sophomore, you, you've made the transition, you're a student athlete in, in the cheer program, which I've seen what you do even today on your social media. And I'm like, good, mm -hmm. good gracious, <laughs> you've still got it. And, and it's still being honed and learned even, even today. But then there, there's an entrepreneur in you that wanted something more. So you transitioned once again into the founder of a coffee company, there's a good story there too, Bondi. Absolutely. And, and so this is an interesting one. I get this all the time, especially uh, my YouTube channel is all about the coffee roasting company. So, um, so many times people say, How, you know, where did this start and why? And really it, it's, it's funny because the, the smallest things in life can just be a trigger for something that is so much bigger than you would have imagined. And I was sitting in a lecture one day in my food science class and this, this lecture happened to be on coffee. Now, at the time, I didn't even know that coffee was green before you roasted it. I just knew coffee as that amber-tinted beverage I drank to keep me awake. And, and so when I learned, I said, well, hold on a second. You know, coffee is green, and it gets roasted into what we know and, and love. So I was fascinated by that. And, and we kind of broke down the chemical change that coffee goes through during the roasting process. And I I don't know why I can't answer this question, but I just fell in love. I was absolutely fascinated. So I went home and I bought some green coffee and I roasted it in a pan on my stove, which I don't recommend because it's extremely smoky uh, and very difficult. So uh, I did that just because I, I had to, I was like, this is so cool. And, and, and I just, again, I loved it. I was like, that was so fun. And then a couple of days later, you got, I got to drink the coffee and I was like, I roasted this coffee on, in, in a pan on my stove. This is so cool. So we kind of changed the way I saw coffee. Uh, like I said, in, in a much larger magnitude than I would have ever imagined, because from there, I just kept doing it. And, and my mom gifted me a small countertop coffee roaster for Christmas. 
So uh, I started doing that and I would post on social media, like Snapchat, Instagram, like, you know, just another Sunday roasting coffee. And people were like, you roast your own coffee. And I was like, it was like, yeah, I do. So, so I ended up, um, I ended up having some people ask me, Hey, could, could, could you roast me some coffee? I'll pay you. And I was like, wow, that's a novel concept there. So, so I decided, yeah, sure. And, and it, it, that's literally from that day forward, I never looked back and the company has, has grown to now what it is today, selling in grocery stores and wholesale to cafes. It's, it's pretty wild. <laughs> that's incredible. So I'm a, I'm a coffee lover. I, I, I remember too, back in college needing coffee, but it was this terrible mixture of really bad tasting coffee, a lot of milk and a lot of sugar to make this, this goo that I was drinking in. So now I've gone stone cold black coffee is the bomb and, and the, yep. the harsher the taste, the better. It just seems to, <laughs> to be fuel for, for my day. But there yep. are a lot of questions I have. Uh, the coffee industry gets some, some criticism on the sourcing of the beans and the amount of you know, pesticides and farming used in, in the beans. So tell me uh, about the company and how you go through creating a quality product from beginning to end, because people can pick apart your process. And I'm just curious how you developed it over time. Absolutely. And there's, there's a lot of changes that we want to make and a lot of things that we want to incorporate into the company. Um, There's, there's just, continued innovation that'll never stop. And we always are looking how we can do things better. So with that being said, uh, there's a couple, there's a couple means of, of processing and sourcing that we would like to change as far as buying direct to farm. Um, we do make sure that all of our importers buy a fair trade and that there aren't any sort of, um, you know, just negligence and, and mistreating of farmers because we're definitely not in the business to support that. So, um, we do ensure that uh, we would like to buy direct because you are able to offer the best price to the farmers and you're able to build relationships with the farmers. That's something that we would love to do down the road and are looking to do. But, um, you know, we build relationships with the importers. And obviously, like I said, we make sure that that there is some sort of um, they're, they're held to some sort of standards importers. Uh, so on that front, that's how we know that that um, our farmers are at least getting treated fairly. And then our quality assurance comes from um, samples from importers. We get it, we cup it. Uh, we make sure that the coffee has been um, cared for. We know where the coffee is from as far as the certain lot that the coffee is grown on and processed. So there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into the processing of coffee and sourcing of coffee. Uh, so without getting too convoluted in the answer, um, you know, we know the farm, we know the importer, we know what their standards are, we know what their standards of practice are. And uh, that's, that's as of right now, uh, the, the best that we can do, although we would like to do better in the future. Yeah, that's, um, we all start somewhere, right? And it's, exactly. It's a continual evolutionary process of ad adapting to a quickly moving environment. And, and speaking of quickly moving, I know the, the pandemic uh, the, in which we're recording this episode, <laughs> Wow, that has thrown quite a curveball for a lot of retail establishments. Um, yes. how, how has your company helped adapt to that ever-changing market? Yeah, it was a very interesting year. I will say that um, our, our platform was, was mainly direct to consumer. So we were uh, in the e-commerce realm, luckily, because e-commerce compensated for the the downturn in retail uh, but we and we were fortunate for that so our business didn't seem to be too impacted uh, directly by the virus although obviously with all of the um, stay-at-home orders when we we're at the height of the pandemic that definitely impacted a lot um, you know our business model of being direct to consumer people being able to order coffee just going on our website get it shipped to their door uh, we, we were able to not really see too much of a change in business however uh, coming out of the pandemic, and I say coming out lightly because I don't want to jinx this year, uh, we <laughs> we um, we're targeting wholesalers, and so obviously our wholesalers are grocery retailers, cafes, many of which saw a huge impact from the pandemic. But at the time, like I said, at the height of the pandemic, that wasn't necessarily uh, where our largest market was. So um, fortunately, we didn't see too much of a of a hit. 
So, Bondi, I notice uh, out there in the market a change in uh, just in our small market here in Louisiana. There are coffee shops opening that are really boutique in feel that you're not just getting a, a drip cup of coffee, that there is a process that they're taking the bean through in the back to make it really a, a flavorful, more uh, better experience, I guess. It's a different experience. So yes. can you speak to that maybe and to help help the listeners understand? It seems like coffee is going through an evolution of appreciation as, as not only a, um, a, a nutrition product, for lack of a better term, but also a form of art, really. Absolutely. And, and really the best way for people to start looking at coffee is, is to liken it to wine because wine has, has already gone through this uh, where people appreciate wine for what, what the, the grapes have to offer depending on where they're grown and the environment in which they're grown, the altitude at which they're grown, and then the process they undergo for you to be able to consume them is, is uh, what makes that wine that wine. And I think, uh, you know, we have sommeliers and, and there isn't really anything like that in the coffee world, though I think there will be. Uh, coffee has a story to tell, just like wine. Um, and the, these cherries grow at all different kinds of altitudes in all different kinds of environments. And just depending on, you might have one lot that is in, uh, let's say, uh, Southeastern Asia, uh, somewhere in Indonesia, and one lot that is five miles down the road is going to have a completely different taste uh, from from that first one. And and it, that's crazy to me that that not only within a specific region will you have a difference between a Costa Rica and an Indonesia, but within Indonesia you're going to have all different kinds of coffees um, that have their own unique story to tell of of why they taste the way they do. So uh, you know it gets really really granular, and I think that. Um, the way that you even brew the coffee will have a completely different taste, same bean. Um, how quickly you brew the coffee, whether you're using a pour over, if it's a light coffee versus a dark coffee is going to change the grind size and how quickly it should brew. So I think when people start understanding that, that those really small things make a, a difference in what you taste in the cup, they'll start to understand that coffee has a long way to go as far as um, the way people look at it and the appreciation towards it. Yeah, that, that, that seems to be a principle of transformation that you just, just hit on talking about coffee. I think the same thing is true for, for us, these, these small, seemingly small changes that we make can have a big difference or a big impact on, on the outcome that, that we seek. Here we are recording this episode on the second day of 2021, and I know a lot of people are in the, the throes of New Year's resolutions, making massive changes in yep. what, what, how they live, work out and eat. And you know what, we're gonna come back 30 days from now and look at those same people. And I think we're gonna see another shift in the numbers back to the comfort zone. But what you just said about coffee and what matter, what, what small changes can mean to, to taste, for instance, that's that's a universal law right there, Bondi. Uh, I, I'm so glad you picked up on that. That's awesome. I so, have never thought of it like that, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I, and you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, we're we're trying to make too many changes, I think, mm -hmm. too quickly. And and coffee can teach us a lesson here that if you just roast it a little longer, if you change the size of what you're going after. Um, that can lead to a different taste, i.e. a different outcome. And we, we have that same opportunity in every moment with the choices that, that we make. So it can get that, that granular if we want to get uh, leadership coaching metaphysical uh, on this right. episode. Right. So, so Bondi, clearly there's so much more we can talk about coffee, but I'm really curious mm -hmm. about how you've developed as a leader. You, you've gone through so many experiences that I think create a, quite an impressive foundation of strength and courage and perseverance and grit and tenacity and a, a lot of different value terms that I can throw out there. But you're the, the CEO of a company and you're still working on your education in, in real estate too. So I know there are even greater things to come, but all along this way, you, you, you've got partners in a business, you've got people that you lead at work. Um, Help, help, help 
me understand how you've developed yourself as a conscious leader um, in creating all these fantastic outcomes? Yeah, I think it was very difficult for me, especially accepting leadership roles early on, not only starting with being my own leader when I felt like I had myself to turn to in my younger years. But when I got to college, I was made the captain of the cheer team my, my uh, second year in the team. Um, and to me, it was like, you know, well, hold on a second. Who, who am I to lead? Uh, and, and, you know, that's a really difficult um, a shift to make in mindset because you're no longer the person that just has to shake their head and say, uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. It's, it's now you're the one that is saying these things and making decisions. And I think um, being a decision maker, there's a lot of pressure on you. And, and again, to our point about uh, being uncomfortable, I think, I think discomfort is, is a theme that just recurs regularly throughout people's lives. And I think that it's, it's all how you take that discomfort and what you do with it. It's going to dictate the, the outcome. And so uh, I would say that the one thing that has really helped me be a successful leader, and this has taken me a long time to come to. So if this sounds like a simple answer, it might, it might be simple in nature, but um, that process to learn is not at all. And really, it's, it's my ability to look down the road and see what I want the outcome to be. What outcome would I like to see in this situation, whether it's for coffee or whether it's for um, a physical transformation for myself, what do I want the outcome to be? And I kind of walk myself backwards through the process of what I think I would have to do uh, or what the process would have to look like for me to achieve that outcome that I just so desire. And, and I think that I've gotten better at that over the years. You know, at first you're, you're kind of just, you're, you're going out on a limb and saying, you know, this is what I want. This is what I want to have happen. I don't know how to get there. And then I think being able to reflect back on my experiences of successfully achieving a goal or outcome, I can go, all right, I have a pretty good idea of what it takes to, to be successful and reach a goal. And I think that kind of honing in that ability to just look down the road and then walk backwards through the process of getting there is, is what I have uh, really used to be a successful leader. Incredible. I love that. That reminds me of um, um, the, the Disney Visioneers, I think they call them, that, yeah, that they, yeah. they, they construct the vision and then deconstruct it into all these amazing Absolutely. Disney experiences. So it, it does sound like you're an exceptional visioneer and deconstructor of, of the process. Uh, how do you know now when to ask for help versus versus <laughs> in your past where, you know, it became, you became untrustful of anything external to you. You're now in a role that I think would, would demand that at some point you, you got to trust an outside source. And that's another transformation experience. Absolutely. And I think having that vision is really what helps you um, outsource help. Because if you have the vision, then you have all the power. And I don't mean that in a, a uh, maleficent way. I mean, you have the power in that it's your vision. You can trust bringing people on who are good at a specific thing or have a, a specific set of skills to help you. Because as the visionary, um, it's really difficult for people to well, first off, ask for help as much as you can. Uh, seriously, it is, it is one thing that has helped me immensely. Um, but being able to be the one with the vision, um, it's really easy to bring in a team and, and, and it takes a leader to get people on board with achieving a certain mission um, or, or vision or outcome. And I think uh, establishing yourself as the leader and the one with the vision allows you to kind of create this barrier uh, between you and those, those that you're seeking help from. And again, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. This isn't some barrier if, you know, uh, I, I'm up here and you're down there, but it's just more so um, this, is, this is my project. This is my vision. Uh, you're going, I'm welcoming you as part of it, but your role is to help me <clears throat> in this specific way. And I think that I've really been able to, um, in a good way, draw lines. And it, it's difficult because at first it's uncomfortable because again, you don't want to be um, drawing lines and upsetting people. You're worried about other people's feelings. And I think that um, there comes a certain point where you just, you just, you get over that and you know, you learn to accept it and, and uh, people expect it. People expect to become part of a project, but know their role. Um, 
and again, I mean that in the, in the best way possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I think that that speaks to not allowing your choice to, to be in the hands of anyone else other than you. I think that's all that's, that's speaking yep. to is your responsibility is making sure either the, the outside influence serves you or not. Right. And right. if it's not, I've got to let you go. And if, if you, if it does serve me, thank you. It's great to have you as a partner. I mean, right. that's as, as granular as I guess we can make it, right? Absolutely. And I think that one of the biggest lessons I learned in that was in commercial real estate brokerage. Um, it, it's kind of this field we get into, and this is residential real estate as well. When you're an agent, uh, you go out there, and, and I really learned this lesson because you're, you want anything. You want anything and everything. You're like, I'll help anybody who has any sort of real estate need. And I really learned that that's not the way to go about it. You should you should sit down as an agent and interview the person you're about to work with and say, is this a good fit? Because I don't want to do this unless I think that this is going to be a synergistic relationship that benefits both of us. And, and that, that I've taken that principle that I learned in that field. And I've definitely applied that um, across all others. And, and so exactly to your point, I think that it's, it's saying, you know, you can help me in this manner. And if not, then then I don't need your assistance. But if so, then <laughs> let's move forward with the relationship. Well, I, I respect that, that, that you're moving these relationships. Well, you're moving them from transactional to connectedness. Right. Uh, you, you want a partnership in the, in the thought process and the decision process. You don't want a transaction. And thank you so much. Um, right. On I go to the next conquest. That It, it feels different for you. Absolutely. So Bondi, um, clearly you are building a, a platform of leadership. And I guess I'm curious when, when in the end and when it comes, you look back over all of these years, if you had to define now what your legacy of leadership was, what would, what would you say in looking back years from now, what you wanted to leave for the rest of the world to carry forward? What, what is your legacy of leadership? I would say, again, not to harp on this point, but I think it's been really integral for me as a person, as a leader, uh, whatever you want to call me, um, it would, be, would be purpose. And that in all of my work and everything that I did and every goal that I set, there was true, genuine purpose uh, behind it. And there there there's too often where I feel like people set goals that have no sort of foundation and no sort of purpose. And I can tell them immediately that that isn't going to come to fruition. Uh, purpose to me is everything. And I think purpose is, you know, we have one life and, and it's very often that I sit there and reflect on that and say, uh, I don't want to look back and say that I took a job for the money or I did one thing for some other reason. It's just, to me, it's insignificant. I would rather take a pay cut and do something that I have purpose doing rather than um, just a position with a higher pay that, that I don't, I don't enjoy, I, you know, and that's my philosophy, but I think as a leader that that's really what I would like to look back on and say that every project, every conquest and every endeavor that I embarked on was was a purpose-driven journey. That that's awesome. I don't I don't know how to say any other word, but but awesome. And I, I see so so easily now what's what sets you you apart from from most people is that I think a lot of people are looking for for purpose and passion as if they were a destination on a map. At, at some point in time, they will arrive too. You, however, create the purpose and the passion behind the thoughts and the actions that influence the moment now. So there, there is no waiting. Um, your, your, your actions are the result and the product of purpose driving thought, thought driving behavior, behavior creating an outcome where I think most people are waiting and they're never taking action. Their only thought is hope and therefore they're stuck in comfort. That's the best way I can sum up what you said. That means so much to me to hear you say. I think, I, I think you solve the world's problems right there. If if you get that granular with your day to day thoughts and actions, you can actually make massive change and transformation happen in your world. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Amazing. So 2021 has just started, my friend. What are your visioneering plans for 2021? What can the followers expect from you as, as they watch you on your continued trajectory of growth? Definitely uh, be on the lookout for, for the business, the coffee. We have a lot of, of expansion happening as we speak. Uh, a lot of big plans for that. I have uh, plans of real estate development, getting into that field. That is what drew me into real estate. Again, development is all about vision, seeing something, and then being the one to bring in all the players that are necessary to make it happen. Um, and and uh, YouTube channel is going to be something that I really want to want to start um, putting more time and effort into. I love connecting with people on there. I love connecting with like-minded individuals and getting to just talk and learn about people and their experiences and what they're doing. So that's going to be big for me. Um, so social media, I'll be trying to be more active on. Oh, I love it. And I, I hope you will continue your gymnastics and cheer activity. Abs and yeah, absolutely. Fitness component. That's clearly <laughs> uh, incredible to watch as, as well. So real quickly, and I'll make sure to put this in the show notes, where can people mm -hmm. find the coffee? Where can people find your YouTube channel? And how can how can people stay connected with you? Yeah, our our coffee our company website is, is roastedcoffeecompany.com. So it's, it's pretty easy to remember roastedcoffeecompany.com. Uh, my Instagram is Bondi, B-O-N-D-E underscore junior. And my YouTube channel, you can just search Bondi Johnson in YouTube. Um, I, I have the uh, luck of a unique name so that it's pretty easy to find me on platforms because there aren't too many Bondies out there, but um yeah, that's, that's pretty much everything you'll need to, to be able to find me on anything that you would want to. Oh, I love that. Um, I, I'm sure many people may have joked and, and said Bondi, James Bondi. Uh, it it sem seemed very 007-like uh, right there. All so. the time. Anyway, Absolutely. I, could, yeah, I could not help it. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Bondi, oh, this, has been, this has been really educational for me. I thank you so much for, for your influence. Uh, I respect so much the way you are taking on life, uh, business, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I think you are most certainly someone to watch and someone that we want to have back on the, on the show again to continue this, this conversation about purpose and influence. I think you've, you have internalized, internalized so many of these principles of transformation and turned them into results that are doing nothing but driving your momentum um, along your, your, your growth cycle. And I think it's an incredible thing to learn from and an awesome and inspirational thing to watch. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I love what you're doing here. And I, I, I've gotten a lot out of listening to podcasts on leadership and transformation. And I, I, I hope that, that people will get something from this conversation we had. Awesome. Well, for the listeners, be sure to check out and follow Bondi Johnson. And you know what? Some orders for coffee are, are going to be coming in because my <laughs> curiosity uh, has been peaked and I'm ready for a different experience. And it sounds like y'all have roasted up exactly that. So yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, for the listeners, thanks for tuning in on this episode and we look forward to seeing you on the next. Until then, peace out, everybody.